Our walk home. Join good friends Amy, Aaron, and Kate as they take a deep dive into the world of sugar addiction. Three women who found the strength to tackle their own addiction through community, courage, and commitment. Each episode will tackle a new subject, offering a little guidance and inspiration as you take your own walk home, back from the edge of addiction. Welcome to our walk home. My name is Erin, and uh, I am a pediatrician in Alaska. I struggled with sugar addiction all my life, really. Um, And today, we're going to talk about what it's like to be an an addict, a person suffering from the disease of addiction within a family, within a family unit. Uh, It's certainly a topic that when I think about it in terms of active addiction, filled with shame and guilt, um, both as being a daughter and as being a wife and as being a mother. Um, and it's a topic that when I think about it as being an active recovery, uh, I, I have to put myself first, which is a very difficult thing for me. I've found, though, that when I do that, uh, I'm better for it. And I really think the family that surrounds me is better for it, too. So we'll see what we come up with today. Kate, how are you? Hi, Erin. I'm feeling great. Thank you very much. And wow, what an opening. So my name's Kate. Um, I live in the UK and I'm also a sugar addict. And for the purposes of (laughs) this this chat. I'm also a mum to four and a stepmum to mum, stepmum to one. I can't speak today. Um, and I'm also a trained relapse prevention specialist. And I'm Amy, also a sugar addict and a wellness and addiction coach and a mom to two. Wonderful. It's interesting before we started talking, I had really thought about this topic from the concept of being in active addiction and part of a family. And in the conversation we had before we started, there was that light bulb for me that, oh yeah, but I'm also a person in active recovery as part of a family. And really how different that is when I think back to uh, being in the family and active addiction, uh, you know, I, I think about in my childhood and my parents never really had to experience much, I thought. Um, You know, I didn't get into any kind of uh, drugs or alcohol until after I left my family home. And I never really had issues with those two substances, you know, use them relatively recreationally. Um, except for the fact (laughs) that I was a a mess emotionally. I didn't even realize just like sugar, you know, here I thought I was this perfect child growing up and straight A's and in all the sports and helpful to everybody around me, but I was in sugar that whole time. Uh, and I was, I was a mess when it came to negative self-talk, when it came to, uh, awfulizing the future and just being this person that was so reactionary in life. And so, no, my family and my parents had to experience that with me. I was home in my 40s, 
and logged onto my work computer and somebody had gone through my documents while I was away. And instead of being grateful that they took care of my documents, I flew off the handle and I was so mad because they didn't update the charts the way I would have done it. And like I lost, I absolutely lost it. And I could tell that my mom was really worried about me and just had no idea what to say in that moment. And I think back and I think that's how I was in, in active addiction. So even you take out the times that I just had foggy brain and I wasn't present for my family, I was so reactionary using any substance. Drugs or alcohol wasn't ever super, it didn't impair me to the point where I wasn't available really that much, but I wasn't available emotionally. You know, it's, that's really what, what I noticed the most, you know, it, and then all of these substances I just used to change the way I thought or the way I was feeling at the moment. So even if I wasn't somebody who was passed out, I wasn't available because I was numbing out all of my emotions and I just had this foggy brain, which means I wasn't available to deal with the emotions or the life of anybody around me or anybody that I loved. So that was a real uh, interesting thing to think back and, and realize that you don't have to be completely impaired to not be available to your family. Yeah. I think it's really powerful when you talk about being emotionally numb and not available to your family. Because when I look back on my own experience and growing up in childhood, my own experience of being parented as an adoptee by my mum in the family I was adopted into, she was emotionally numb. She was, um, she also had the disease of addiction. Um, she was taking Valium and prescribed medications but the result was that she was very emotionally numb and her own experience of being parented as well by her mother. Her mother was not available. And so you start to see it in a sort of generational um, experience that you parent almost in the way that you experience parenting yourself. But in a sort of ADHD brain segue into something else, you're making me think of when you were talking of my experience of childhood Parenting was almost like a societal experience culturally. So when I grew up, um, for example, snacking or eating junk food, I mean, if you were caught eating junk food, not that it was actually readily available when I was growing up in the 70s, but if you were caught eating something that you shouldn't have been eating in school uniform, it was punishable with a detention, you know, and it was so frowned on. Um parentally and there was a, a kind of a cultural thing I think because we just didn't walk around eating snack food it just wasn't available in the way that it's available now it's so everywhere um in every service so just what I don't know why it made me think of that jump my own experience of that was that sort of cultural piece that societal piece of parenting and what you could and what you couldn't eat and what was available to eat and what wasn't available to eat because it's so very different now. Um, and one can't help but reflect, A, you know, there's so little research on the effect of processed food and junk food on kids. It's just not studied as a subject. But then I also 
think too of the rise of the preponderance of emotional and mental health challenges that our kids suffer with and struggle with and wonder if there is a correlation between the two. Um, all the different mental health problems and the proliferation of processed food that is around us. But as I said, there's so little research done on the subject. There's no actual link. I just don't think we can afford to ignore it. That's a very jumbled set of <laughs> statements that I've just thrown out there. But anyway, Amy, what have you got on the subject? Well, I think, um, you know, it's hard living today every day in recovery when your family is not living in recovery. So in terms of what you were just saying with the children, it's really hard because on the days where I'm preparing, well, you know, the, when I'm preparing my clean meals and sometimes eating with them, sometimes eating separately, I question what I'm feeding them. And do I put my recovery on them? You know, is it fair to do that? But then again, is it fair to feed them poison? So this is a constant battle every single day with what I'm feeding them. Do I feed them what I want them to eat or what they're going to be happy with? And I try to, and then I know if I'm feeding them what they may be happy with, that's not the best for them. So, and then I know how they're going to possibly feel afterward as a reaction of feeling them kind of food that might be kind of crap food. So this is a constant battle in in um, recovery. Um, I feel sometimes I eat alone. I prepare my meals, I eat my meal, and then I prepare their meals because I don't want to be hungry when I'm putting the poison for them on the table. Because if that's what I'm feeding them that day and that's what they want, I need to go into it, not starving. So then sometimes I eat before them or I'll bring my clean meal and eat all together and just hope for the best in that situation that I don't look onto their plate. Um, it's also really confusing for the kids because I'll be eating a certain way for a while. And if all of a sudden I fall off and I want to partake in the poison with them, they're so confused yet they're excited because they said, let's go out and get something. And they'll be so excited that we're all going out together to get something. They'll be really happy. And then on another day I say, no, I'm going to eat in a separate room or whatever I'm going to do. They're so confused as to how they should behave around me with, because sometimes I'm doing really well and eating really clean and sometimes I'm not. And then even if I'm not eating clean and I say, Hey, let's go out and get a treat. They look at me, they say, well, should we be happy that you want to come and get a treat? Or should we tell you, you shouldn't go and have this treat because they know how I eat and they know that I won't feel well if I do have the treat. So it's very confusing to them. So it's it's not easy being <laughs> in recovery in a family that doesn't really care so much about what they're eating. And you don't want to put this on them. You want them to see how you're eating and how you're feeling and want them to want that. And very, very, very slowly it's happening. So it's that's great. I would like it to be a little bit faster, but I have to be grateful that there is awareness that there are conversations going on and people are trying to make that change. So that's, that feels really good at the moment. So that's, that's, I guess, I guess those are my thoughts with the kids involvement in active um, recovery and addiction. 
It makes me think of, of two things, credibility and modeling. I say them both so I remember them. <laughs> credibility is, uh, you know, our coaches talk a lot about the idea of credibility. And there's we have to be credible to ourselves, and then we have to be credible to our families. You know, I've I've been on a million diets, and I've talked about my weight and my eating for my kids' entire life, you know, and they see me make choices that are healthier and they see me make choices that are not healthier and they've seen me lose weight and they've seen me gain it right back and then some. Um, And I've seen myself do all of those things as well. So, you know, when I entered recovery, which is, is not a diet is a, a, just a new way of life, not only how I eat, but how I think, how I live. Um, It takes some time for that, for that credibility for sure. And then if I slip up, um, that is that is even harder you know to to come back from i think mostly for myself but then also for for them around me um so it's it takes time and i think for me i've had to just not beat myself up and say you know that, that idea that i am human and it is okay to make mistakes the question is what are you going to do about it what are you going to learn from it what am i going to do about it what am i going to learn from it um, that's the only way that making a mistake is okay. If I just make a mistake and say, well, I'm human, you know, that's that becomes more of an excuse than it does an explanation and a jumping point off to do something different. Uh, and then modeling is is the other part of it. And I is what I kind of heard from you, Amy, and I, I feel that same way. I love it that it's a discussion in our house. I love it that we're talking about it. I try to live my recovery out loud in front of my family. You know, I talk about when I'm irritable and um, and that I'm noticing it and that I'm aware of it. And I'll tell them, yep, you yep. know, I messed up and I had this food the other day and and I shouldn't have had it. And, and I'm just blown away every time at how grumpy and agitated and just full of anger that I become when I have these foods. And I think my son, even the other day, something happened. He's like, mom, it doesn't even make sense why you're acting this way about what just happened. And uh, I said, oh, well, let me tell you why it makes sense. And then he kind of went, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting for them to see the effects of these foods. And, and it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And like you said, Kate, I certainly wonder what these foods are doing to people's mental health and state of anxiety and depression and just general angst. And when you're in it and you're in it every day, you have no idea that the food, I had no idea that the food could be part of it. Once I stepped away from it for a while, then if I have a little bit here and there, it's so much more noticeable how different I feel. And the only thing that changed were those foods. So if I'm living it out loud and I'm talking about it and I'm going through my struggles with my family and I'm honest about, you know, my slips or even just my thought patterns, you know, that I'm having a really hard day thinking super negatively about myself. These are the things I'm going to do to try to turn that around. Um, and hey, I'm I'm sorry I'm I'm doing this, but I'm working on it all the time. And I think that modeling is so important. So they become more aware of maybe these foods could potentially be affecting me in a similar way. 
I love that. So I really feel like sort of education piece is key. It, there's, there's something about normalizing the home and normalizing the home that eats healthily and eats well and can connect good food with good health, good mental well-being and stability. And if you can instill that, if we can instill that in our children, then I start to see hope going forward and the terrible mess that I feel we're in at the moment. The problem that I really struggle with is you know, food is so bound up with these ideas of love and comfort and soothing and emotion. You know, um, my own experience, for example, I remember very young as a very small child, aged four or five, experiencing, um, well, I guess mum leaving home. She'd pack a suitcase, march downstairs, slam the door and disappear for hours. And myself and my sister would be left at home alone. And then at some point, she would return with chocolate bars and goodies and we would be given this food and it would happen again and again. And you start to associate with feeling feeling better is, you know, something that you put in your mouth. Feeling better is comfort food. So also there's an, there's an aspect away from that too that are you rather weird if you don't eat junk food in your house in the same way that if you didn't have a tv in your house it used to be considered weird at school you hadn't watched the latest show on tv if you don't eat junk food in your house that's really bizarre behavior so I think there's a huge piece and a huge challenge there about normalizing your home and your home and our home environment as a sort of unprocessed food place I mean and and also what is actually so radical about eating bacon and eggs mince and cabbage and butter chicken and salad steak and celeriac you know what is so radical about that as opposed to this mushed up turkey twizzlers and these processed potato chips that we you know and and everything that's been through an industrial process to refine it in some way I mean I just don't know what what is so radical about eating that and why we have come so adrift in society from from that sort of common sense approach for thinking for thinking that's normal and 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 you know as opposed to seeing that processed food is now really normal and stuff so um I And also, just one other thing to throw in as well. I do remember as a child, I suffered from all sorts of really bad tummy pains, um, headaches, constipation, where I'd be sat on the loo for hours. and I mean, literally hours and hours and hours, just as a small child um, with that. And aches and pains and growing pains. And I, I now know that I can't eat dairy. And I, I struggle with wheat and those types of things, whereas that made up the bulk of the diet that I was eating. So being able to take those things out of what you're eating and being able to affect a cure in a young child is <laughs> nothing short of miraculous. Being able to use food to, to make a difference to a child's life in a positive way, um, I think is something that we, we need to embrace and do more in terms of exploring I know that Joan Ifland in her textbook, Processed Food Addiction, has a large section at the back about children and processed food. But the one sentence that stood out for me in the book that she says to avoid controlling the child, focus on controlling your home environment. And I think that is absolutely key to making a difference at home and how we can parent the child. So with what you just said, Kate, it's it's so important to have a clean home, 
but yet at the same time, you're that weird family that has the clean home. So it's difficult for my kids because they say, mom, if we have friends over, are we going to have any snacks for them? Because I generally don't have a lot of snacks. If I do have snacks in the house, I put it in a separate spot for them, but I don't always replenish them. So there's sometimes there aren't snacks in the house. When they come home ravenous from school, I usually feed them a meal actually at three o'clock when they get home, because that's when they're so hungry. And I know they'll actually, they'll eat good food. So I try to give them their healthiest meal of the day at that point. And then a healthy snack later on when they get hungry, but it's really uncomfortable when we have, when they have friends over, because what do we do in a situation like that? So then I'll make a meal for their, you know, I'll make, I'll still make the meal at three o'clock and offer it to their friends. One of my daughter's friends said she thinks I'm the healthiest mom or person she knows <laughs> because she looks in our house and sees nothing. You know, I buy this one particular friend's seaweed because I know she likes it and I'm okay with her having that. But um, it's really hard with the kids and just the word that you said, you know, weird because I don't give them snacks in their lunchbox. And I say, if you want, if you want a snack and they're selling it at school, then perhaps you can buy a snack for yourself but I'm not going to have it here to pack for you. Um, every now and then a little bit of something gets in the house and I allow it. It's something I don't like and something that I feel won't give me such a problem. So this way I don't feel like I'm completely depriving them, but it's, it's definitely a struggle with the kids. Um, it's also, there's also a struggle with, um, not going to the places that we used to go to eat all the time or that we used to love to eat. This morning, my fiance asked me to go to a certain place that we used to love going to. And I just didn't want to go there, even though I know I can go there and get a healthy meal. I just didn't want to be triggered to be sitting there thinking of what I could have there, what my favorite thing is. And, you know, he, he, I think he looks at it as, okay, this is another meal we'll eat separately or, he said he'll get something for himself on the way home instead of having a meal together. So I suggested we do something else together, like we take a nature walk. I said, I'm sorry that we don't have as many meals together as we used to, but let's think of something else to replace that. So that's how I'm trying to move forward with that because that creates a little bit of a situation when someone eats a certain way and somebody doesn't and you want to continue on going to the places you used to go. So I feel like I'm faced with that a lot and I'm trying to work through that and not make, you know, not create a problem around that, but just constantly find solutions around those situations. So, so that's where I am at with the, with the children and the fiance around the food right now. But luckily, um, my daughter saw the effect that it's having on her skin after she ate all the Halloween candy. She showed me a picture last night. She sent me a text and said, Mom, what is this on my nose? <laughs> I said, I asked her, have you been eating a lot of Halloween candy? She said, yes. I said, well, that's going to happen. And it might happen. You know, it's called acne. And it might happen all over your face if if you continue doing what you're doing. So it's it, you can control this. and you know, it's your decision. And she said, okay, I'm going to slow down on my Halloween candy. 
Erin's a pediatrician. So she said, can we, she actually, Erin said, she said, can we call my bestie Erin and find out what's going on on my nose, what's growing? And I'm like, that's one thing we don't need to call Erin for. Dr. Erin, I can tell you what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I love it that she has that awareness though. And I think that's the key. That's the best we can do because they're going to grow up in this society, like you said, Kate, where it's normalized to eat all of this. I mean, just go to the store and and take a look in, in the grocery carts of everybody. You know, it's there's not a lot of real food to be seen in people's carts and how strange it is that vegetables and and uh you know, like you were saying, chicken and and bacon and eggs, how is that the weird stuff to eat? You know, when I was my kids were playing soccer and I brought I brought bottles of water and oranges and my kids just rolled their eyes at me. I'm like, come on, that's a good thing. Like everybody else has fruit snacks and whatever, and you know, nothing real to it. But um, that's all right. I'm gonna keep doing it the way I'm I'm gonna do it. We are that weird house. We don't have TV either. My poor children. They talk about it all the time. I just wanna be normal. And I think to myself, well, normal these days is not good. It's just, it's not good on so many levels. Um, But I find that that idea too then spills over into, I'm not that normal mom because I'm, I'm trying to break free from just doing for everybody else and to figure out how I take care of myself. And it's life or death at this point when it comes to recovery, um, sugar, especially, got me in the hospital in a diabetic crisis and and I was in the ICU like I'm not exaggerating when I say it's life or death and I must put my recovery at the top of the list it's the only way I will be able to take care of anybody in my family if I take care of myself um and I I love what you talked about Amy that idea of well let's go for a nature walk what you know food is such a part of that communal community you know, what do you do when you're together with family? You eat. That's just what it is. You know, moms who struggle with kids who are picky eaters, it is, it, it gets to them at their soul level, not, you know, when they struggle to feed their kids, because it's such that piece of connection to us all. Um, when I talk to people about, yeah, you're not seeming to be tolerating dairy, I don't just say let's eliminate dairy. I talk about this idea of exchange. If you're going to take it out, what are the nutrients in it that you're missing out on? And in what foods can you put in your diet that you get those nutrients back? And it's the same idea, I think, what you're talking about. Look, we can't do these things surrounded around food that we used to do that brought us together as a family, but what can we exchange it with? What are some other activities and experiences that we can do as a family? And I got to tell you, when I'm out of the food, I am present for those experiences as, as well. And I can really appreciate them. And in the long run, my kids will appreciate it too. I always tell people, 29. When your kids are about 29, they're going to come back to you and say, mom, you were right about everything, but it's going to be a while. But it doesn't mean that we don't do the right thing right now. And and if I'm present and available and not sneaking past them when I get home from work so I can go get a fix, when I'm not getting up crazy early to get to the hospital and grab all the free junk food in the doctor's lounge before anybody sees me, 
and coming home exhausted because I got up way too early. If I'm not doing those things and when I'm with them, I'm with them. And I just have to believe that at some point they will realize that, that they had a parent that was emotionally available, that did fun things with them, that was honest with them and gave them tools I wish I had these tools when I was younger. I didn't get any of these tools till I was in my 40s. Um, I, I want to be able to show them the tools to speak kindly to themselves, to take their health seriously, um, and to think critically about what's going on around them, what their friends are doing, what society is doing, what advertising is trying to tell them. Uh, you know, I want them, I really want them to think critically about these things. And it's it's a gift that isn't opened up and appreciated today, but it's a gift that I think in the future, I hope they can see the importance of it all at some point. Hmm, where do I go with this? I think um, the disease of addiction, we know it's a primary disease, but we also know there's sort of about 40 to 60% of it is genetic predisposition. And I think that's a really key message to really help um, with our children that they get an understanding. Mum struggles with this disease and there is a, a potential for you also to struggle with this disease and to be mindful around, around that. Um, lead by example is beautiful. To me, the only person we can save ultimately is ourselves in all of this. But when in active addiction, how freaking hard is it to be consistent around that as a message? It is virtually impossible when in active addiction, not least because the volatility of the blood sugar swings that you're getting all the time because you're eating all the crap and stuffing it and all the rest of it. And you're up and down and up and down like a yo-yo. And it, it it's confusing. You know, it's confusing for our kids to actually see us like that. To 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 switch it up and get into active recovery, you're never going to do this on your own. So you know, having a really strong support system in place for me, working a 12-step program, finding faith, connecting with people in a way I've never really connected with people on a completely different level having that in place of myself gives me at least a fighting chance for being consistent around my approach and wanting wanting to lead by example you know for my kids and and also erin this point about being present is absolutely key bringing fun activities into the house instead of all this crazy gaming all this tv stuff all the you know just lying on the couch doing absolutely nothing it's all the old-fashioned stuff isn't it jigsaws it's puzzles it's listening to the radio it's engaging different senses it's drawing it's coloring you know all of that that you can do together but it's now kind of viewed nowadays as kind of passe or old-fashioned and again that you're a bit weird if you do that at home um with it i mean i have to tell you my kids have all left home now. I mean, my youngest is 24. But I do remember vividly when I first got together with Mike and we brought Brad into our family as a blended family. This was about 12 years ago. And he and I had this crazy idea. We'd read about this new diet called the paleo diet. So we had this crazy idea we were going to do it. And because the kids are all a little bit tubby, and I hope they'll forgive me for saying that, that we thought, okay, let's do this as a challenge. So we'd cook all these crazy meals Eat, eat together on a table. And I didn't realise this at the time, but when we weren't looking or I was talking to Michael, I wasn't looking, the two boys were taking the food off the plate and stuffing it under um, the 
chair cover on <laughs> the dining room chairs. So there's a pile of food there. And then after the meal, they go down to the bottom, right down to the bottom of the garden where there is a pile of grass clippings in the room. <laughs> they chuck it in there so that they think that they've eaten it. And then they just go and get their own food. You know, they have pocket money and they spend that on eating the crap food. So we thought we were making them good food. And and then slowly this all came to light and we realised we had to make different decisions. And it came to light, I think, on the day that I had carefully made caveman custard. I don't know if anybody has followed the paleo diet knows what that is, but it involves a, <laughs> a concoction of coconut milk and um, eggs, which you sort of bake into an egg custard. And I poured it carefully into Tupperware containers and they took it to school in their backpacks. And of course it melted and went just oozed out over all their books and all the rest of it. And they were so angry. They were absolutely furious and they haven't that's it. And, you know, and 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 I actually realized, you know, this was me. It's either this or it's this. It's and and that's been really a, such an active part of my addiction, the extremes, the all or nothing. And I keep coming back to this, the all or nothing. It's either this or this, it's either paleo or it's not paleo. Whereas now I live life in the and and having to compromise at some level that, you know, making ridiculous decisions, expecting my kids to eat exactly what we were eating, which was really strictly paleo, just was, it was kind of not fair, you know, and also not fair because I was never particularly consistent in the message. And they knew that I get to a point where I couldn't stick with how rigid this system was and that it would, it would all go to pieces anyway. So what was the point of it? You know, I wasn't actually teaching my kids anything of any benefit there. What has been beneficial, and what I watch my daughter in particular now, she talks to me a lot about it. She's a paramedic. She takes the work that I've been doing around addiction, the training that I've been doing, the holistic training, and she actually applies it to people that she's dealing with in the ambulance when she has to talk on the ride to the hospital and they're struggling with their own addictions with that. And I love that, you know, that somehow... We are paying it forward. Um, you know, you go through a lot of, it's not easy. This addiction is not easy to, to sugar and food. I mean, it's like you can still be in this active addiction and still function as a human being. You can still cut the sandwiches for the kids' lunch. You can still look after your sick mum and dad. You can still do the laundry. You can still hold down a full-time job because you're not under the cupboard under the stairs, off your face in a bottle of vodka or whatever it is, you know, because you can you can still function in in this addiction. And I think that's what makes it so completely insidious. But you know, we live and we learn. And is it Maya Angelou the quote that says, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. So I guess my final thoughts are that um you just kind of reminded me you have to be creative and kind of on your toes all, all the time when you're in recovery with your family, um, just trying to make things work. So I enrolled my daughter in a healthy cooking class just to get her a little bit excited about cooking something, you know, on the healthier side. That was something I did. And, um, and as the Halloween just passed, I, did not want any of this candy in the house. I was so afraid <laughs> of this candy coming into the house, even though I feel like I'm doing well right now and I'm, I'm not craving that. I still don't want to look at it and start that whole craving that goes on in your body when you see things, even if you're 
doing well. You know, it sets off that chemical kind of reaction in your body. I didn't want it in the house. So I told them I would give them each $50 or give them a gift certificate to their favorite place. So I'm excited because I gave my daughter $50 and she wants to go out shopping and spend her money with me. So now not only is it um, not getting the candy in the house, it's also now it just kind of created an outing for us to spend some time together and go shopping. I'm not sure yet how my son's going to want to spend his $50 probably on video games, something like that. But maybe he'll want to do something outside of the house together too with his money. Um so, yeah, I just feel like we're constantly on our toes trying to figure out how to work through the recovery in the family. Um, I'm hoping that in time it gets a little bit easier because it becomes a pattern and a consistent pattern where my kids sometimes say, oh, mom's on her sugar rush. She calls it, she calls it a sugar rush. Like if they see I'm doing something that I normally wouldn't, say she's on her sugar rush. Let's see what we can get her to do. Let's ask her to take us, you know, take us out for ice cream or or their favorite place, you know? Um, so hopefully I could just keep it consistent for longer amounts of time where they're not looking for my next, you know, fall off the wagon sugar rush kind of deal. So those were my thoughts of active addiction and active recovery, living in a family with younger children and people who aren't always on board, but Thank you, Amy. Kate, do you have any final thoughts for us? All right. Well, I I really appreciate this discussion. You know, it's so interesting. We're in kind of, Kate's been through it with kids already and um, came to recovery after they left the house. And it's just been beautiful to see how recovery has strengthened the relationships with your children and just to see you glow when you talk about them in a way that I can tell uh, is different. You know, I think it, I we all in our past lives and active addiction and we think about families, it's so full of pain. It is for me. It's full of pain. It's full of shame. It's full of guilt. And even if I'm not perfect when I'm in active recovery, it's, I don't feel those things anymore. I feel maybe some disappointment, but it doesn't settle in me. It doesn't become part of who I am anymore. It's an impetus to do it differently in the future. Um, and anytime I come to a meeting or I or we talk, the three of us, I hear exactly what I needed to hear. And today what I needed to hear was that idea of living in the and. I love that. I've always said balance and live in the middle but living in the and is so powerful to me because I'm not going to get it right every day. My Even if I'm clean in my food, my addictive thinking is going to try to come in and bring me into that all or nothing, bring me into that negative self-talk, uh, bring me into that life is never going to be better. Why even bother? And I need to come back to that and. And I think it's important for us to remember that we can live in that and we can have a family that is chaotic and hectic and a little bit dysfunctional. And we can have a family that is loving and together and doing things and feeling whole. We can have addictive thinking because this disease never goes away. And we can combat it with active recovery and we can rise up above it as long as we're aware 
we're accepting and we're willing to take that action. So I really appreciate this morning with you guys. And uh, I look forward to figuring out what we'll talk about next time. We hope you all can join us. Thank you.